part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. I don't know how many of you fly on a pretty frequent basis or if you just fl- you know, fly every once in a while, but I mean, one of the great joys and one of the great reminders of, uh, of kind of who you are in, in life is when you get on a plane, uh, all the all the flight attendants are super nice. They, uh, you know, they smile at you and do all that and until it comes time to take off, and everybody's kind of there. And uh, at that point, you're reminded by those curtains that you're not in first class. With that in mind, this morning, with just kind of that thought of that separation, listen to the beauty of these words from Hebrews this morning. Hebrews ten nineteen through 23, I'll read to verse 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. Amen. You know, that, that reminder, something as simple as that you're not first-class first material, you know, it's just that kind of reminder of our humanity that, okay, here we are. There's some people that are sitting in the front part, and they're about to have steak and lobster, and we're back here, and we have peanuts or crackers. And, you know, and, and it's one of those things. There was one time I was on a flight and, and uh, you know, saw a lady, and, and it was just interesting to watch and observe this. The bathrooms, I guess, had been occupied in, in our section, in coach, for quite some time. And, and you could tell that this one lady was pretty desperate to, 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 for the restroom. And she made this very feeble attempt to actually draw the curtains and go up to first class. And she was very firmly reminded very quickly that that was for the first class passengers only. You know, when it's flying, it's one thing. But, but when it comes about coming to a holy God and, and, and really feeling close to a holy God, Folks, we begin to read the Bible, and, and God has said that there's very much that the curtains have been opened. We read in Hebrews there this, this great expression that, that this table, and, and coming to, to remember Christ and the work that he has done and accomplished, that it has been opened to us, not because we deserve it, not because we are first-class material, but that very much Christ has opened this for us. This morning we want to look at that Hebrews chapter 10, and I, I want to kind of give you the background to that a little bit. For some of you, it's going to be review. You know your Bible well. You've studied from Genesis to Revelation. For others, it may be a, a first time that you really begin to kind of make a connection. I think one of my favorite things about preaching and teaching is when all of a sudden we connect thoughts that we thought were kind of disjointed, and all of a sudden the very Spirit of God brings them together in our mind and our heart, and we're going, I get it now. That's why we do this. That's why that verse says it this way, that when we come to a place and it says, they're four brothers, Because of this, here's what we get to do. Therefore is one of the uh, most frequently used words in the New Testament, over 200 times. Jesus used it, I think, 89 times. Paul, uh, no, 95 times. Paul uses it at least 89 times. 
it was frequently used by them because they were saying, okay, because of what Christ has done, there is, that's not the stopping point. That's the beginning point of how it impacts our life. Because of this truth, therefore, here's how we live. And this morning as we approach this table, as we try to keep it very simple and just very worshipful, I, I want to kind of fill in those blanks for some people, remind others of why it is so important that we're able to come and that we're able to be uh, uh, not behind some curtain and that God is not hidden from us in this place called the Holy of Holies, but that we truly have a place of coming and dwelling with him. In order to do that, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament, to this place called the Tabernacle. And if you've studied in the Old Testament, you know that God calls the people. They did not call God. He called them. He calls out Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless you. And he calls the people to be his own and his sovereignty. And in that calling, uh, they're obedient sometimes, but mostly they're disobedient. And there's times that they have great faith, and there's other times that they're really lacking in faith. Kind of sounds like us, sort of. You know, up and down spiritual life all over the place. And so one of the times God had led them to a place that he had already promised them called the promised land. And, uh, but through their lack of faith and their disobedience, they, they didn't trust that God really had given them that land, as he said. And kind of as a, uh, somewhat as a, a discipline, somewhat as a learning experience, they begin to wander for 40 years. But during that 40 years, God doesn't abandon them. During that 40 years of wandering around the, in, in the wilderness, it's not like he said, okay, you, you don't even get to experience me. No, he said, I want you to know that I'm with you. And so he gave them instructions. You can find this in Exodus, and then you can find the details in Leviticus. And to be real honest with you, it's kind of boring reading because it really goes on and on. I mean, it's very precise. Make it out of this material this long, and you read it, and you, you can really kind of fall asleep really quick. But the precision of this place that God had them build called the tabernacle was because that's where he was going to reside in in both a a way that they could know that God's presence was right there with them. Can we go to that picture? Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, I I know you cannot see this. Just kind of look at the big picture. Don't even attempt to to, to read any of those uh, words there. But basically, they would set this up all by God's instruction. Uh, it's not like they got a couple architects together and a couple of seamstresses together and decided that they were going to build this on their own. God gave very specific instructions of how to build the tabernacle. And it was really basically three different parts. There was the outer court. That's kind of that big area. And that's where, uh, again, people would come in. They would do the sacrifice of the animals in that place to atone for the sin, a, a temporary covering for the sins of people. And the priest would do that kind of in this first part. There's an altar there, and they would sacrifice the animals. And then see that tent in the back? That's where only the priest could go. Can we go to that next slide? This is a little bit more close-up. And if you notice, there's a curtain on the front where the priest would go in, and then there's a second kind of purple curtain there. And we don't know that it looked exactly like that. But this first part was called the holy place. And it had a menorah there. It had a place for showbread. And all those have great biblical uh, meanings. I wish that we had the time to go into every one of those, of of all that was out there. But the priest would go in there, and he would worship God, and he would have this time with God. But behind that second curtain, it was called the Holy of Holies. And only the chief priest, only the high priest could go back there. Only the top priest could go back there. And he could only go in there once a year. He could go in there. It was called the Day of Atonement. 
And he would go in there and he had to bathe first in a special ritual uh, way. He had to do all these, uh, wear special clothes. He had to do all these different things. He had to take the, the blood of a bull that had been sacrificed. He had to take two lambs in there. All these different things that he would go in one time a year for the sins of the people, to atone for the sins of the people of Israel. It was the holy place. And there was a curtain that would separate this outer holy place to the holy of holies. That curtain was always a reminder of two things. God's holiness and man's sinfulness. And anytime that you saw that curtain, it was you know, one of those things like you said, okay, private party, and you know that you're not part of that private party, so you, you can't go in. Uh, you go and it says do not enter, and it's not just a do not enter for anybody, but you know that there's only special people, employees only. You know that there's a restriction there. You know that there's a qualification that you don't have. Well, well this curtain was a reminder that God is holy, and that our sin, sinful life, that, that we really don't need to be in the presence of him. In fact, do you remember what would happen to somebody if they saw God? If they went back, that they would die. And that's why the Jewish people, they didn't want to say the name, the personal name of God. They, they were really respectful of this. They were in all of all of this. Why? Because this reminder that this curtain separated the holiness of God. Behind there is the Ark of the Covenant, uh, symbolizing the presence of God. Smoke would come from this area. Sometimes it would be fire. And it would always be a reminder that even though they were in a time of discipline, that God never left them. But it was also a reminder that even though God was there in their presence, that they were separated from God because of their sin. That they couldn't just be trivial about that. Well, when we go and we begin to look at that, in Jesus' time, they didn't have a tabernacle anymore. By that time, there had been a temple built by Solomon, and it was a, a massive temple, and it was wonderful. Uh, it had already been destroyed, and so by Jesus' day, Herod, of all people, he wasn't even Jewish, but he built this temple, and he really kind of went out and do Solomon's temple. And when it came to doing this curtain that would separate the holy place from the holy of holies, he actually did it bigger than what Solomon did. 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and the curtain was four inches thick. I, I remember when I was a kid, they used to have this thing called the power team. Do you remember that? They used to go around telling people about Christ. And these guys with just massive muscles would come. And one of the things that they would do is they would take a phone book. We don't even know what a phone book is anymore. But you remember phone books back when they had them? And, and you know, four inches thick. And the guy would get out there, and he would always call up one, two scrawny people like me and, you know, attempt to do it. And we couldn't even do, like, five pages, you know. Uh, and then he would take that whole book and, you know, be able to kind of, you know, rip it in two. Well, that was probably about four inches thick, and it was one of those things it took every bit of, you know, and I, I'm not so sure that he didn't have it kind of pre-cut a little bit anyway. But it was one of those things, it was great demonstration of, of strength that this guy could tear this phone book into two. Well, that's kind of what we're looking at here. Four inches thick, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. It took 300 priests to carry it for two reasons. Number one, the weight of it. Number two, they did not want it to touch the ground. And so they put it in place, and it separated. It was a veil, and this veil was, again, a reminder. Sinful man, holy God. A barrier, a separator. 
we begin to see what sin does at God and man all the way back in Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. This is after Adam and Eve has sinned, and now they are instructed to leave the garden, or kind of usher it out. This was a place perfect and designed by God. God had given them everything. He had made but one command, do not eat of this tree. They ate of that tree. They were disobedient. They followed their own way. And in following their own way, they brought sin into themselves and sin into this world. And, and here was the resulting factor of that. Genesis 23, uh, 3, 23 and 24. Therefore, notice the first word. Therefore, that cause and effect. Here, a negative effect. Uh, something that was caused and then a negative effect that resulted from that. What was the result of their sin? Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. Listen to that language. He drove out the man, banished the man. At the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, they were ushered out of this Garden of Eden, the place that had been their home, the place that they were created to live. And now God placed angels, angelic beings there to guard it so that they could not come back in. And and it's it's the first time that we see this barrier. We see this curtain. We see this separation from holy God and sinful man, the cause and effect of their rebellion. Fast forward the tabernacle. Fast forward the temple. This curtain, this veil of the temple. And we see that there's this continual reminder, not that God has abandoned us, but that God is different from us. Folks, there's two things that we often do, probably the, the two things that, um, that we just forget about God. I mean, we, we read things like that in Genesis 23, 23, and 24, and, and it, there's a tendency in our own cultural mindset to think that God is hateful. You know, that's what we've kind of thrown anything that we don't like. Well, that's just hateful. You're a hater. No, he's holy. He's not a hater. He's holy. Huge difference. Huge difference. And in that holiness, he wants to see uh, He wants us to see us as we are. And he also wants to be seen as, as he is. Holy God. Two mistakes that, that we often make with sin. Uh, the first mistake that we usually make about our own sin is that we minimize it. Because we live in a culture that says, well, you know, that's not all that bad, or, you know, this, that. We, sometimes those things that are offensive to God, we water down. We say, well, you know, it's really not all that bad. And we try to say, well, everybody else is kind of doing that. I'm not as bad as some people. There's not one of us in here that hasn't had the challenge of that thought in our life at some point in time. That we use one another as the comparison of good and bad. And we could always find, can't you always find at least one person worse than you? I mean, we might find a lot of people better than us, but we can always find. And if nothing else, history has allowed us to say, well, at least we're not Hitler. You know, we have this person in in history that we can go back and say, well, at least I'm not like him. That's man's way of minimizing sin. And so we begin to minimize those things, and we fail to see how serious and offensive this is to God. And we do more about our own finicky taste of what is right and wrong rather than seeing what the Word of God is. Folks, God says that sin is serious, and it's possible for us to remedy this sin condition on our own. 
None of us can just try to turn over a new leaf and, and just be a little bit better people. For hundreds of years, God's people went to the temple. They sacrificed the animals for their sins. It was a temporary covering of their sins. And they were waiting for one thing that God had promised, and that was a Messiah. The, the, these animals that they sacrificed, this temporary covering, they said, okay, that's going to end at one sometime because one day God's going to bring the ultimate Messiah. He's going to bring one who's perfect. And that Messiah is going to come and give us complete forgiveness so that there won't have to be any more sacrifice of sin. Well, Jesus comes and, and he is that answer. He's the Messiah. He's the one that God has promised. And he comes and he lives a perfect life. He's willing to lay down his life on our behalf. And... Uh, he faces three false trials. He's scourged, he's beaten, he's abused, he's mocked. At our life group the other night, we looked at four mockings of Jesus and Mark. It's just amazing that here, the Son of God, creator of all things, and yet four different groups of people mock him in, in the Gospel of Mark. It's amazing. Every one of us in life group said, you know, maybe we would have the patience for the first mocking, maybe for the second one, but by the third one, we're just calling down angels. I mean, we're calling down fire. He doesn't do that. He stays the course. He knows the Father's will. He commits himself to the Father's will. And he goes to the cross on our behalf. And we begin to see that, especially when we put focus on that as we approach this Passion Week. And we begin to see that Mark chapter 15. Look what happens there. This is after he's now hung on the cross. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Other Gospels tell us some, some of the seven sayings that he has, all these different things. We coordinate the story with all the Gospels. But Mark says it in this way, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And you know what it says in verse 38? And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now what was the curtain? It was the separators, that reminder of sinful man and holy God, and that we are not holy God, that we are sinful people. It was that separator. You can't go in here. You don't belong here. And then God sends a Messiah to die in our place. And what happens? The Bible says immediately that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And how was it torn in two? From top to bottom. Remember, it's 60 foot high. Three foot wide, four inches thick. Man could not have done this. You know, this, this top to bottom, the, why the, the Bible doesn't waste a single word. When it says from top to bottom, it, he wants us to know that this is God's doing. Man didn't come along and say, okay, we don't have to do these rituals anymore. We, we, don't, we don't have to have this kind of a setup. We didn't have to have this kind of a form, formal type of religion. Now God himself takes this that was the reminder of our sin, the reminder of the separation, and he rips it from top to bottom in amazement to all those that were participating there. And it's this picture of a curtain torn that prompted the writer of Hebrews to write the words under the inspiration of God that Seth and Brittany read for us this morning. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. That's why we always see the author of Hebrews. I have my suspicion, but uh, I think it was either Paul or a close, close, close worker with Paul. But we don't know. But this person 
They, they look at this work of Christ. They read the Gospels. They, they see this separation of this veil, this tearing of this curtain that separated them. And look what they write in response. This is the same thing that we read before. But now look at it in the light of all that we just explained about the, the tabernacle, about the garden, and about the work of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and following. What's the first word? Therefore, something has happened. There's a cause and effect. There's something has happened. What has happened? Christ has died for the sins of all that would trust in him. So he starts off this, this passage, therefore, because of this cause, here's the effect. Here's the response. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, this veil that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. Let's draw near. Don't stand off. You're not separated anymore. Now the door has been opened. The curtain has is, 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 uh, been separated. Now draw near. Cause and effect. Are we still sinful people? Yeah. I sin every day. And I have a pride like no other. I battle with all kinds of stuff. Lustful thoughts, greed, all kinds of things in my mind. I pray, God, when is this going to stop? And it's not going to stop until that glorification. I battle with it. I battle through it in the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, God, will you give me? But this is why I need to come back to this. Because remember I said that there's two things, two big mistakes that we make with sin. The first one is that we minimize it. Oh, that's not that bad. You know what the other one is? We allow it to be maximized. Has there ever been time that sin in your life as a believer, now I'm talking about people who have truly, they've trusted the work of Christ in their own personal life. And yet even as a believer, as a brother, as it says here in verse 19, and it certainly means sisters too, but it's talking about the family of God, those who have put their faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. Have you ever had sin in your life that you didn't feel like you needed to go into the presence of God? Cause and effect. I mean, I don't feel like going to church this week. Well, brother, why? I mean, I've just really been battling this week. Man, you just don't know some of the things I did this week. It's always surprising me because the very time that I feel so separated from God, that's when I need to be in church. I need to be around a family of believers. I need encouragement. I need people to remind me of the gospel truth because I'm believing that lie that somehow Satan has taken my sin and allowed that to somehow overcome the work of Christ on the cross. And maybe you've lived that too. You found it unworthy even to come into a, a body of believers because of the things that have happened that week. Folks, I don't want us to minimize sin, but surely we are not to maximize sin so much that somehow it renders the work of the cross ineffective. Somehow we have to have that ability to, to see God for who he is like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 where we really see that, that, that God is awesome and he's overwhelmed 
And what does it, do you remember what Isaiah said? Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips. His first reaction of, of being ushered into heaven and having this vision of God on his throne was his own unworthiness. Do you remember what happened in that story? God sends some angels over to purify his tongue. It's a, and it's a precursor for Christ. It's a, it's a sign of the coming Messiah and that Jesus was going to come one day. And basically what we learn from Isaiah chapter 6 is that true worship comes not just when we see our unworthiness, but we see that God has a ready answer for our sin. See, that's why it's the good news of the gospel. When I was growing up, I heard a whole bunch of don't do this, don't do that. I mean, I heard a lot about sin. I just never heard the rest of the story. And so I went around trying to do all the right things, thinking that somehow that was going to make me able to, to be able to go into this curtain, into the presence of God. And it wasn't until later in my life that I actually heard the good news. Some people get kind of offended when you start talking about sin and God's holiness. You say, well, you know, we're really not all that bad. And again, we begin to minimize it. But folks, I want you to know this morning that, that we are in error when we minimize sin or when we maximize it and think that somehow we who come and believe in Christ and, and, and count upon his finished work and we allow it to keep us from fellowship, allow us to keep us from holiness, allow us to keep us from, from joy in our lives. That's the good news of the gospel. What I could not do, Christ has done for me. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. Therefore, cause and effect. Because Christ has done this, and you have to go back and read all of Hebrews chapter 9 to get the full effect of this, the full weight of it. And I wish that we had another hour, but we don't. If you really understood Hebrews chapter 9, you know why he was saying, therefore, therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence to enter a holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have this great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Draw near to him. I want to explain kind of what we're going to do. Uh, number one, the Bible says to, uh, very much that the Lord's Supper is for believers. If you place your trust and your faith in the work of Christ, not if you've gone to church, not if you got wet in vacation Bible school when you were eight years old, but have never, you know, trusted and believed the work of Christ. If you've put your faith and your trust in the finished work of Christ for your salvation and for your uh, ability to, to know a holy God, then you are invited to be with us. Whether you're a member of this church, whether you're a different denomination, if you're a brother and sister in Christ and you put your faith and hope in Christ and Christ alone, we invite you this day to participate with us. We're a family here today, a family of God. That makes us family, even if this is your first time here. I do realize that some of you probably come from a church and maybe you've uh, practiced the Lord's Supper where people actually serve you. And there's nothing wrong. That's very biblical. We can do that as the servants. Deacons sometimes would carry around a tray, a tray that has little cups in it, and you would partake that way, and you would have the, the little crackers, and they would do that. And a lot of us grew up in a church that did it that way. But this morning, we really want to emphasize this drawing near, 
that this curtain has been opened. If you can imagine a curtain out here, and because of the work of Christ, the curtain's been opened now. And so today, for those who are used to, to having the Lord's Supper kind of served to you, I, I know that this may be a little bit different, but I pray that you just kind of go with it and trust us today, but that you would come to this table. The way that we would do it here is oh, we have a... a cup of juice here, and we have some unleavened bread. It's actual unleavened bread. Thank you, Brittany, for making the unleavened bread for us. And just take a, a, a little piece and dip it in there and, and just you know, serve yourself, but in total reflection of what it stands for, that we get to come to this table, that we get to have this relationship and this renewal and this remembrance of Christ because the veil has been opened. It's been torn. And now he invites you, and he says, come near, draw near. We'll be playing some music in the background, just real softly. You kind of come at your time. Uh, as much as I can say, just kind of get in your own little space. Because I know sometimes we, we have a tendency when something like that comes to, to see if we're doing it right. Forget if you're doing it right. Just come to the table. Uh, men, husbands, you can serve your wives. You can serve your family. If uh, you're uncomfortable, you know, uh, if you want prayer, I'll be here for prayer. Um, Daryl's there as an elder of this church. He can pray with you. We're just here to serve you, not to make you feel uncomfortable. Many of you uh, from Cornerstone, you're used to taking it this way, and it's a way that's very common to you. But this morning and this time, we're going to pray, and then we're going to let Ricky go first so that he can play for us the, the rest of the time. And then we're just going to have, you know, until everybody is served, until everybody is, that uh, feels like they want to come and receive the Lord's Supper, and then we'll close out this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we open up your word this morning, and Father, we, we see in, in the very first part of Genesis the cause and effect of, of what happened because of man's sin and disobedience. Father, we see that there's a banishment and there's a separation a reminder of Adam and Eve's sin and your holiness. Father, we see that continue through the tabernacle. We see that continue through the temple. Until there is a time, Father, when the Messiah, the promised one, your gift to us, the answer to our dilemma of sin, Father, that you deliver him, he dies in our place. And as Paul said in Corinthians, He takes our sin who knew those sin and he gives us his righteousness. Father, we are the most blessed of all people. Father, you have opened up those curtains, not because we deserve to be in first class, not because we deserve entrance into this holy place, but Father, because there is one who has made that that way for us. And Father, we proclaim his ability and his work this morning. Father, help us not to minimize our sin, but Father, you said to check our hearts, to come before you before we take of this bread and this juice. Father, that we are to examine our lives. And Father, I pray that you would show us sin in our lives, show us things that you want us to direct and toward holiness. But Father, I also pray for those that maybe today are just under Satan's lie and he has so maximized their sin that they feel so unworthy to come. Father, if they've put their faith and trust in Christ, Father, will you show them that the worth is not their own, but your worth through Christ in them. And may they come boldly to this table 
thankful, rejoicing, worshiping because of what Christ has done. We love you and we thank you, Father. Lead us through this time as a family, as a church, and we'll give you all the praise. You're so deserving of it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.